This is Peak Earth. I'm Case Bradford. Thank you for tuning in to this episode with Colin. Colin shares his journey going from working in surgery to shifting to a more functional medicine practice aligned with his vision of promoting health in others. He's a nutrition and health expert. We dive deep into some of the factors that are causing so much chronic disease in our world today. Glyphosate, seed oils. We discuss sugar, a controversial one. Colin actually sides on the growing cadre of folks who are saying that sugar is not nearly the devil that many make it out to be. This is aligned with the work of Ray Pete, and we discuss his work as well. We go and do a lot of stuff. I really enjoyed this conversation. I appreciate you tuning in. I hope you enjoy. And if you are digging Peak Earth, here are a few ways that you could help contribute. One way is to leave a five-star review on the Apple or Spotify app. Those always make me smile. Another way is sharing an episode across social media or to a friend or family member. I guess a, a third way could be to rent a small space, an event, an event space, not too big, you know, nothing crazy, just rent an event space and then throw a party, uh, throw a party and, and just instead of playing music, play episodes of this podcast and, and let people know, hey, this is Peak Earth, it's a cool podcast. So those are three, those are three ways that you could contribute if you were called to, regardless appreciate you tuning in. It means a lot to me. Thank you. And I hope you enjoy this episode with Colin. How's it going? I'm good, Case. Uh, thanks for thanks for having me on, man. I'm, ex- I'm excited for a, a good chat. Absolutely. Stoked to connect with you. You have a, a wealth of knowledge and, and experience in a wide range of disciplines. And I guess one piece of your story that, that is coming to mind is is how you you currently work within the i guess i could say the I don't know, medical system is that yeah is that a fair way to say it mm-hmm. when i when i was trying to decide what i would wanted to do as a teenager in high school um you have you have so many so many different choices and some of it's dependent on money and some of it's dependent on passion and that kind of guy thing which i didn't even know about when i was you know 17 years old um, but I, I had a few things in mind. I knew I was good at, um, the sciences. I knew I was good at math. And so I was like, oh, well, maybe I'll do some sort of engineering type of role. But, uh, that was just boring to me. Um, and at the time I was just kind of a health nut. I was really into nutrition and exercise. And my dad or my stepdad was a, a, a bodybuilder in his past. So I was all into kind of, you know, optimizing nutrition and health. And so I was looking into like nutrition and dietetics, but that doesn't pay very well. And I mean, that's kind of still an important part of things, right? Um, and so I was also looking into, you know, being an MD or a DO and kind of going that route, but I wasn't fully committed on anything. So I'm like, I'm not going to devote eight to 15 years of my life to something that I'm not even sure about. So I ended up finding finding some information on physician on what a physician assistant is, which is my role now um, through through a family member's friend. And basically, I I had never heard of it, but it sounded like a good deal because it's a lot more flexible than being an MD. You don't have to go to school as long, not as much of a commitment. 
but I could still be in that role where I'm helping people kind of become the healthiest versions of themselves. Um, and so, yeah, I went to a couple informational meetings and visited some schools and I was like, I think this is going to be a good option for me. Um, and so, you know, I was going through PA school and, uh, got to the graduate portion, which is like the master's degree. And so this is split into two portions. There's a, a 15 month period where you're in the classroom and it's, you know, it's pretty intense, you know, multiple exams per week, uh, several hours in the classroom every day, a lot of studying. And, uh, I started to realize, I'm like, wow, uh, the medical system is much different than I thought it was going to be. You know, the things I was learning weren't much about diet or exercise or lifestyle or sleep or stress. It was more so, you know, you've got a symptom or a disease and the treatment is usually a pill or, a, or surgery. Um, so I was like, okay, this is a little bit different. Uh, a lot of memorization of, of pharmaceuticals. Um, and then I get to the clinical portion, which is 12 months of rotating through, you know, uh, emergency medicine, primary care, surgery uh, type things. And kind of had a poor experience where, you know, I was with providers who would see their patients for eight, 10 minutes and kind of push them out the door with you know, uh, steroids or antibiotics. And there was no talk of the lifestyle piece or health or nutrition. And so I started to really question what I was doing. I was like, I don't know if this is the right career for me. Um, but ultimately at that point I was, I was deep in, you know, financially, um, time wise. And so I was like, well, I'm going to try to find my way in this field. And so I started looking for jobs in kind of functional medicine, integrative medicine, things more along the lines of root cause and prevention rather than kind of the conventional model, which is more so um, suppressing symptoms or alleviating disease with pills and surgery. And so initially couldn't find any work and got some poor offers because I just didn't have any experience as a PA. Um, and so no, no clinics wanted to take that risk on me, even though I was passionate about it. I had the passion, but didn't have the experience. Um, and so I worked in surgery for two and a half years and learned a lot about the system and how it's broken. Uh, but the entire time I was looking for a way out and I eventually found um, a career kind of on a different side of medicine, right? I, I, I wouldn't call it alternative medicine, but just outside the conventional sphere, it's more preventive medicine now. So that was, um, that's a long explanation, but yeah, that's kind of how I got to where I'm at now. Awesome. And it's an amazing story because I bet a lot of the people that you, you worked with are probably still doing that exact same thing. Part of the playing a role within this, I guess you could say broken system where there's a lot of misaligned incentives, misaligned incentives and things that, that just, they're not, doesn't seem right. If a, doc, if a doctor's spending eight minutes with the patient and then they're just kind of writing them prescription and, and off they go. There's no addressing the, the root problem, the root cause. So of course they're going to likely be back for maybe another drug at some point to address the side effects or they'll just be on this same sort of band-aid drug, this prescription kind of for their whole life. And maybe that's by design to a certain degree because it's it's pretty profitable. But 
man, it's it's brutal and, and heartbreaking to to look at, especially hearing it from you as someone who is who is inside of it. And now you're you're working to sort of address the root root problem. Do you think there's any kind of hope within this approach to the to the root cause solution, or is this system just like too busted at this point? Man, I'm like a I'm an optimist. I'm a pretty positive guy in general, but I don't see any way out for a long time. Um, because, you know, like, I try not to speak bad about the system. I try not to say, because some people will take offense, especially in my field, you know, other PAs or doctors will be like, you know, we're, we're still helping people that, you know, there's still a need for our work. And I'm, of course, there is right, of course, there's, there's a need. Um, and they're well intentioned, they want to help people. But the system is designed in a way where they only have eight to 10 minutes. You know, the, the system is kind of overloaded and stressed and there's not enough time and not enough resources to, you know, look at, uh, you spend an hour with a patient and look at everything they're eating, look at their sleep, um, look at the supplements they're taking and their stress levels and their exercise. There's not enough time for that. And so you kind of are constrained to kind of get the patient out the door and see the next one. Uh, you know, primary care physicians, that's gotta be, it's, it's one of the toughest jobs on the planet and they don't get enough recognition. They don't get paid enough um, because it's such a hard job to do. And it even goes back further because people are set up to lose. People are in this country are set up to not be healthy because of our, you know, big food, big ag, all of these things you want to we'll talk about with how our food is different, especially here in the U S as compared to other countries, which, unless you are vigilant, unless you are really aware, if you're just eating what the government recommends, you will be sick. Like there's, there's no way out of it. Um, it's very hard to just tell someone, well, eat their standard American diet, but if you become obese, just eat less of the standard American diet. And it's like, <laughs> it's like, it's such a, and, and that's where I do have sympathy for obesity and people that have been struggling for a long period of time because th they're getting terrible advice. It's, it's so true. It, everything for, from the, the government is not to help the people. Unfortunately, it's to help big businesses earn more profits because lobbyists are paid to promote their products. Mm -hmm. And in a way it helps Americans because it helps our economy from a certain perspective, but that's a very short-term perspective where we're, we're kind of focused on quarterly profits, but then down the line, we're seeing these mounting costs of obesity and, and diabetes on the rise. Just, just to name two, we're spending like some massive amount of money on, you know, from our tax dollars. You think about how the world could be, how amazing and beautiful the world could be if we could just realign ourselves to some of these more true ways of eating and healing and, and, there's so much waste. There's so many externalities, downstream consequences of this horrible approach to how we're eating and living and all the health consequences that come as a result of that, let alone, you know, all the, all the lost creativity, all the, all the amazing artists that could have come into play or athletes or inventors, thinkers, yeah. lovers. It, like there's so many parts of our society that are being squandered by this bad information. And, and it's amazing that we now have this tool called the internet where, where we can share our perspective, and hopefully someone can link into it. I know you've written some books as well on on some of these health and, and lifestyle tactics, strategies, and principles. What was the book kind of primarily about, and, and how was the process of writing it? 
Um, so the, the reason I started writing it is because I kept getting the same questions over and over from people. Like I'd have friends or uh, colleagues or even people just DMing me on social media and saying, hey, am I allowed to eat eggs? I heard eggs were bad for you. Or what's the deal with sugar? Can I eat fruit? Because fruit has sugar in it. And so I started getting these common themes and patterns. And I was like, well, if I'm hearing these so often, why don't I just answer as many as, po- as possible of these concerns um, in an ebook? And so then I can, I can tell people once they have these questions for me, hey, here's a resource. Um, it's going to kind of answer all of your questions um, because it, it was taking up a lot of my time. And I'm, I'm super passionate so, about it. So when people would ask me, I would, I would go off on like a 30-minute conversation or you know multiple texts and DMs. And I would get sidetracked on whatever else I was working on because that's just the type of person I am. And so I'm like, okay, this is taking up enough of my time to where I want to just work on something that I can refer people to. And so it started with just a culmination of my ideas and then making sure that I kind of backed it up with enough solid research and evidence so that people weren't just like, okay, you're a quack, you know, um, I'm all for the esoteric stuff, but to get a lot of people on board, you do kind of have to back up what you're saying. And so my books have hundreds of citations in them because of that. Um, I know that people sell these health eBooks and stuff and don't cite a single source, which is, which is fine. It, you know, if it works for people, but I wanted to kind of be a little more scientific about it. And so I just started putting, it was so unorganized. I just had like 50 chapters or something and I just started writing. I, um, and Eventually, I got to a point where I'm like, I think it'd be more digestible to kind of piece this into, you know, sections because there would be like one section about like health myths. There'd be another section about like exercise and and it kind of just worked out better. And so I have split it basically into like four sections and I've released two of those and I've got two more that I'm basically just editing and working on the citations. Um, but yeah, that was, that was kind of the process for how that worked. Nice. Was there something that stands out in your mind as, as a favorite sort of learning or takeaway that you came across while maybe researching or even in the process of creating, creating the books so far? Well, um, I think you learn a lot by, by, by writing like this because you, you have to back up what you're saying. So there'd be times where I'd be like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm writing and I'm just free flowing. And then I'd be like, oh, let me go back this up. And then I'd look into the research and be like, hmm, maybe that's not the full story. Maybe I need to kind of adjust what I'm saying. And so it really took me, I was never an extremist, but um, it really almost made me a little more moderate in some, some areas because um, I couldn't just say things without backing them up. And, you know, in, in general, I think main takeaway is that there's, there's more than one way to skin a cat, right? Like not everybody is going to need to do low carb. Not everybody's going to be able to, um, eat low carb. Some people are going to do better with more plants and some people are going to do better with more meat. And so I kind of found like a middle ground, I think, um, you could probably still find people will still read my, my eBooks and, and think that I'm biased one way or another, which is, which is fine. I, I probably am. Um, 
but in general, yeah, I guess my main takeaway was that, you know, there is more way, more than one way to do this and nobody's really right. Anytime someone is in a nutrition setting or a health setting and says, this is it, this is the answer, black and white. Anytime someone speaks in absolutes like that, I immediately throw up red flags because I'm like, there's, there's variation in everything, you know? And so that, that was a big realization for me is that none of this is black and white. That is a big one. Yeah. And so many, this is like a common theme in, in what a lot of people seem to be bringing up and, and in, even just like in problems in general that I'm perceiving, there's so much black and white thinking with like everything, everything's, you know, this way, that way, right angles. And, and just like, yeah. it's <laughs> with, the, with the like environmental issues, it's like, it's carbon. It's like, carbon's good. Carbon's bad with like the whole uh, lockdown situation. It was like, the vaccine's good. Vaccine bad. But it was like, there's, there's so much middle area and like messy spectrum with like everything in between where it's like, for some reason, we, even with like good and evil, like this food's good, this food's bad. It's like, hold on, this is kind of an insane way to perceive the world within these like two, you know, diametrically opposed right and wrong type thinking. It's, it's wild. It's, it's very, everything's polarized now. You have to be, you have to pick a side. You know, there's, it's like, you can't be in the middle because people are like, people are almost mad at you for being in the middle. Like, no, pick a side, you know, like you're either with us or you're against us kind of, kind of thinking. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what that is. I, I mean, I could speculate. What, what do you think? What do you think causes that? Like what's, what's the root cause of that? If you had to, if you had to speculate. Oh man, I think a lot of it is the media and whether it's some of it's social media too, because, um, and I'm sure you're aware of this too, that a big marketing tactic, especially on social media is like be controversial, be polarizing, you know, like, don't agree with everyone else because that doesn't get clicks and views. Uh, you got to be a little bit clickbaity sometimes. Um, and so I think that's part of it is that it gets people thinking and it gets, it gains attention. And, you know, part of it, even if you want to think bigger picture along the media is, is it division? You know, does, is there a reason that they don't, they, I say they, but like, (laughs) you know what I mean? that there there's trying to be this this divide so that people aren't united um you know that's a little uh conspiratorial but uh that's i i think that's kind of my hypothesis yeah no i agree it really and i think obviously conspiracies do happen and the whole concept of conspiracy has been given like this bad rap in the past five years or so just because yeah um, I think some people take it too far, but there's no, you know, there's no denying that we've all become more polarized as, as you were saying, and, and it is primarily driven by social media. And we could conceivably say that, um, there are people out there who don't like America, who don't like Americans. They, we could say Russia, we could say China, we could say communists. Like there's, there's an, there's a lot of people that don't like what we do, what we stand for. And it, you could conceivably see a way where they would be leveraging social media to create division and polarize Americans against each other. And this is, in fact, written by Ray Dalio in, in one of his, his re- recent books. And this is a, a multi-billionaire, uh, a hedge fund manager, like very successful, very powerful man, writing about the division of, of American, how social media has been used by other nations as a tool to divide us. And that's really the, the key is like looking at not as am I, you know, on the left or on the right, but seeing like, oh, I'm on, I'm like 
against division. Just like, let's kind of unite here because no matter what you believe, we've got to be able to communicate with, with each other and find that middle ground and, and see what's what and just be okay with other people believing different things and, and just, you know, coming to a place where we're, we're not uh, violently having these violent outbursts that, that are so common, whether it's, you know, a, a micro violent outburst where someone at home is, is, you know, going into a rage or, or something bigger where there's blood spilled. And, you know, that's really what we, I think we want to avoid at the end of the day with, with a lot of this stuff. And it seems to be happening at way too frequent of a rate. Yeah. And, um, even said you, you said like at home, even like I, yeah, I'm 27 years old. So I can't say like, Oh, back in my day, but I, I mean, I never, I can't ever remember a time. Like when I was a teenager, politics weren't even a thought in my mind. Like I, I just didn't even, and it never came up. There was never like one side versus the other kind of thing. Um, and I don't remember ever being at family gatherings and things coming up. It seems like it's in the past, like five years, like exponentially, um, gotten crazy where everything everything is politicized right like covid became politicized which is is kind of insane to me because like well just look at the data and the numbers and you know part of its intuition too but like even that it was like pick a side you know (laughs) um and it just seems like it's with everything now and i don't ever remember it being like that kind of growing up or even in my early 20s i don't remember it being like that I agree. Something's definitely changed and we have yet to really get a grip on it, figure out what it is, kind of contain it in language and, and conceptualize it. But it, I think it's pretty important. And this like undercurrent that is, that is flowing sort of beneath a lot of the changes that have been unfolding. And I think it's really important that we sort of pick it out of the, of the, you know, flow of life and say like, Hey, this thing's happening. Like we need to be aware of it. It's, it's and we, we can make a corollary with, you know, within the, the realm of, of food. And I'd be curious to see what, what you make of this as, as someone who spent a lot of time studying and, and very knowledgeable on, on the subject. We think about some of the common elements of our food system that are causing damage that people aren't aware of. Something like uh, glyphosate is the first one that comes to my mind, right? It's like a pesticide that's sprayed all on a lot of products. You know, uh, wheat is a, is a big one. It's pretty much in every waterway. It's in the air we breathe. It's like in everyone to a certain degree. And there are some people who say that it's perfectly fine and healthy. But I think there's a, a larger and, and growing contingent of people that are saying, well, that's actually a pretty bad, <laughs> pretty bad thing. Like we want to be doing our best to, to get away from glyphosate as, as much as possible. Do you agree with that? And are there other sort of elements or food system that, that come to mind as things that people would want to avoid? Yeah, glyphosate's a big one. Any pesticides in general, you, you definitely want to eat organic as much as possible um, and avoid the dirty dozen Um the environmental working group, I believe releases that every year where they say, you know, these are the 12 foods that are most contaminated by pesticides. So those are the ones that you definitely want to eat organic. Um, the scary thing about some of these things is you can even think of, you can even use like BPA as an example, which BPA, you definitely don't want to use endocrine disrupting chemical it's, is classified under. So it's a, it's a plastic that probably mimics other hormones in your body like estrogen. And then obviously that's throwing off the balance of not only estrogen, but testosterone and, and um, downstream, who knows what that's doing and, and how long it's staying inside of you. And the scary part about it is BPA. Now you can go out and buy water bottles and it'll say BPA free 
it's like, oh, that's great. It's BPA free. But you look at what it's made of and it's like BPB, BPD, you know, and it's like, okay, so they just replaced it with another chemical that in five years we're going to know has the exact same effect. And, um, (laughs) you know, it's, they're going to constantly, uh, move the goalposts, I guess you could say. Um, but yeah, you want to avoid the plastics as much as possible. Nonstick cookware is another big one, which contains, um, polyfluorinated PFOAs, which is forever chemical. So they say that those never decompose. So what happens when you ingest those? Um, Things like uh, inflammatory seed oils, which are kind of pervasive and in everything. And I think in general, you want to avoid eating anything fried because especially if you're going out to eat, uh, a lot of these fryers, they're cooking your food in, they're not changing the oil. They're just sitting there for months sometimes. You know, it might be a couple weeks, a couple days. Sometimes it's up to months where the same oil is just sitting and oxidizing and going rancid. And um, that's what they're cooking your food in. So you want to avoid that as much as possible and try to eat at home as much as possible and know exactly where your food is coming from, know where your water is coming from. So filtering your water is another big piece. Um, probably want to minimize EMF. I think the the data is, the jury is still kind of out on that. Um, nothing definitive, but in general, the whole EMF thing just rubs me the wrong way. Uh, I don't think we need to be bombarded by 5G cell towers everywhere and Wi-Fi and radio signals and all of these different things that were never a part. They're non-native EMFs, right? Um, and so trying to live as as naturally and ancestrally as as possible so instead of the plastic water bottle maybe using glass um is a a good switch so those are a couple of the things there's there's so many that we can talk about those are three great ones we've got so just to recap bpa or essentially all plastic coming in contact with your food as, as much as possible try and avoid that Industrial inflammatory seed oils, especially the kind that you'd find from fried food in a restaurant, remove all that from your life. And then lastly, EMF, which is still a bit up in the air, but best to be wise, you know, intelligent about it. Like, let's not keep our phone in our pocket by our sensitive uh, testicles, especially yeah. if, and if you have to, you know, like put it in the airplane mode. So you're not, so you're not, uh, you know, down regulate that EMF a little bit and kind of stay away from the Wi-Fi router at your house. Don't you know, keep that next to your head while you're sleeping or anything yeah. like that. And, and the phone outside the bedroom. So yeah, th- those are three, three great ones. And what's coming to mind in this one, I know you have a very, um, bright perception on because I've seen some debate within our small friend group about something sugar where like some people really freak out about sugar. They're like demonizing, like sugar's the devil. And then you're, you're embracing it more saying, no, no, sugar, it's perfectly fine to enjoy sugar. And what, what has your sort of journey been like processing that? And how do you, how do you uh, kind of explain that to people who are curious about it? So, oh man, yeah, I'm so glad you asked this question. <laughs> and I kind of knew it was going to come up because I've, I've kind of become like the sugar guy or something. Um, but uh, so honestly, I think what happened was, you know, you have Ansel Keys who, who was demonizing saturated fats and cholesterol back in the late 60s and early 70s. And then there was Crisco and AHA making these recommendations to, to decrease fats, especially saturated fats. 
And then I, I feel like uh, they also started to point the blame at, at sugar um, because, uh, you know, basically the, the whole fat argument has kind of fallen out of favor a little bit. And they're pointing, they have to point fingers at something else. You know, why are we becoming more obese? And um, so they got to find something. They have to figure out what's going on. And so sugar naturally is kind of the next thing to target. And it's an easy one to target because you can look at these kind of population studies, epidemiological observational studies where they'll say, oh, well, this population of people consumes a lot of sugar and they also are obese and um, have diabetes. And it's like, well, were they just eating sugar? Like, did you watch them only eat raw cane sugar? Or were they eating sugar that was inside of a Twinkie? Or were they eating, um, you know, uh, five guys with a milkshake on the side? And was that the sugar that they were consuming? So it, it's it's much different. When you actually look at the research, and there's so much on this in my ebook on, on the sugar research, and it just comes back again and again that it's not the sugar. It's, it's overeating these processed foods that happen to contain sugar. So obviously you're going to want to stay away from processed foods in general. Um, a lot of these processed foods are designed for you to overeat. Overeating leading to fat gain and fat gain. Um, we know that the, your body fat is an endocrine organ. <clears throat> it's, it's not just something that's sitting on top of you. Yes, it is. It is storage for future fuel if you were to be in a starvation scenario, but it is an active endocrine organ, meaning that up to a certain point after or after a certain point, it becomes inflammatory and at least uh, releases inflammatory cytokines. And so anytime you are gaining excess body fat, that is going to, you know, not be great for your health. And so a lot of these foods are designed to make you overeat, designed to make you obese. And then it's easy to say, well, it was the sugar that did it. Yeah, but what else? You know, was it the grains? Was it the seed oils? Was it the fact that you, you know, made it salty and you made it crunchy and you made it easy to overeat? So that's kind of um, a little a little bit of it. But in, in general, so sugar is, it's your, your body's main fuel source. And if you, if you don't give yourself sugar... Um, it will get it through gluconeogenesis. So whether it's your proteins um, or your fats. So, you know, you can argue whether one way is better or the other, which one's better for producing ATP. But in general, I, um, I feel very good eating a lot of sugar. Um, and I hesitate to, to recommend people to just eat a ton of white sugar or refined sugar. But absolutely, if you're getting sugar from fruit and honey, I, I really don't think there's any risk there because um, you can even look at the, the structure of, of sugar with sucrose, and it's like a 50-50 split between uh, fructose and glucose. And if you look at an orange, an orange is like 51% and 49%, something in that range. And uh, so basically, an orange and sugar are made up of the same things. I mean, an orange obviously has vitamins and water and fiber, but you know, the orange has just as much of a risk as table sugar. So it's just very interesting how people will form these arguments um, based on poor research. And that's kind of where I think it comes from. Yeah. 
It it is fascinating, and I think it's another one of the examples of what we were talking about before with like the polarized sort of black and white thinking where everyone wants another, you know, we also want like a single bullet approach, which is like the sugar is bad. Now you, all of a sudden you have people like fruit is bad because it's all just yeah, sugar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's a step too far, I, I think. And it's interesting how like, you know, the blame has never, I feel like the blame within the mainstream has never been firmly pointed at junk food, which has got to be like, if we're going to pick a single bullet thing, like, that seems like the obvious, you know, candidate to me where it's just like, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's never been pointed at the, the grains. It's never been pointed at glyphosate or the, I mean, some of it's the lack of movement, but yeah, it's, it's never like this whole all encompassing, like just avoid the middle of the grocery store at all costs <laughs> because that, that food is so profitable, right? Like, of course they're not going to say that. Yeah. Yep. I'm hoping that we can be a part of a grassroots movement that does sort of surface that awareness. And I think it's, it's happening to a certain degree with the seed oil movement, because that one kind of, I feel like that one, everyone's pretty comfortable with making the single, the, um, the silver bullet in a way, because it's the foundation of all the junk food, essentially, like a lot of the junk food is held together by seed oils, just like at a, you know, culinary in a culinary way almost in like a bio, biochemical perspective where they yeah. like need that stuff to fry it and to just like congeal it or whatever they're doing so like that's that's pretty exciting one um to and, see and because like you think about shelf life and butter doesn't last as long on the shelf as one of the, as these seed oils do and so you know uh when you go into a bakery and you eat a croissant that's made with sugar and flour and butter it's not going to last as long as Walmart's Frankenfood croissant that's made with who knows what, you know, in, uh, the iron-enriched grains and the, the seed oils in it instead of the butter and probably added sugar. So um, it, it's just crazy what has happened because you can even look back and, like, even if you asked your grandparents or great-grandparents if they're still alive – they would tell you, yeah, we, we ate apple pie for dinner every night. You know, we ate a lot of steak and potatoes. And so it's like, it's not the carbs. It's not like we're overeating on carbs because we're not, you know, if you, if you look at the, the data from, from, you know, the, the macronutrient ratio of what humans have eaten actually in the past, um, past 50 or 60 years, the main increase has come from fat. So we don't eat more meat. Uh, we actually eat less meat. Uh, we don't eat more sugar or carbohydrates. Actually, it's more fat. And most of that is from these added oils that are now in everything. So even if you don't want to use the argument, even if you, you're one of those people that say, um, one of these real sciencey people that will dig up some research and say, oh, well, seed oils lower your cholesterol and there's never been any implication. You guys are just hypothesizing. Okay, even if you want to say that there's nothing inherently bad about seed oils, it is the number one increase in calories in like the past 50 years. And we know that if you eat too much, you're going to probably become obese. So just by removing that alone, that calorie source, we will see an improvement in health in our country. So it's just it's just silly how people will kind of dance around things. It is. It really is. And I guess there is a, a strong reason for that, given the profit motive and, and the financial incentive to, you know, 
operate the dance, the dance being a lot of what is, is done by mainstream media and the, the big corporations that are, that are kind of putting on the dance stage and, and setting the script and turning on the music and, and all that song and dance. That's, that's most people's uh, sort of primary form of, of attention that is being spent and, and kind of uh, really creating our culture in, in, in a lot of ways, just through yeah. that, through that song and dance. And I guess I'd, I'd like to take a little bit of, of a left turn if, if you're okay with that, just yeah. kind of curious, like Go ahead. Yeah, outside of, like outside of um, this realm, what's been kind of letting you up lately? What, what have you been, what have you been into? What have I, what have I been uh, working on or what, what, what I've been, uh, what direction I've been going? Yeah. Or like anything that you're enjoying in life, just as a hobby or, or something that you're like studying or just kind of like checking out recently, any uh, kind of experience in life. Yeah. I, um, I've really had uh, kind of in the past year, year and a half, really my faith has been strengthened so christianity and um my participation in church and and bible studies and the sort of fellowship and community that i've found in that is it's unparalleled like it's it's something i've never experienced before and um there's nothing that i can do in this world to fill that void like like my faith fills it if that makes sense um and so i've just been trying to find as much time to nurture that as possible um because i know that that's that's a priority for me at least right now um and and that leads to kind of health in in every area because my mental health is kind of taken care of then and i know that as long as i'm prioritizing that i will i will know what what next step to take so Lately, I've gotten to this point where with, with social media, I had a pretty decent growth and things have kind of slowed down because I haven't been as active as I, as I should be. But I'm kind of like, well, where do I take this and, and what, wh- how do I use this in a meaningful way? Because as you've seen, uh, there's a lot of guys on Twitter who are in my position or maybe a little further ahead of me who have made a lot of money, but they're doing it in a way that I wouldn't want to do it. So it's like super cookie cutter, super like everybody just copies the same threads from each other, you know, five ways to improve your testosterone. It's like, everything's just, it's so like superficial to me. And yeah, I probably could make money doing that, but I'm trying to find a way to, to do this to where, you know, I have a good day, day job. I have a good main gig where I don't necessarily need to make money online. I'd like to make that a main source of my income because then I have the freedom, but I want to do it in a way that's kind of actually helping the world and not in a superficial way to just make money. Um, so yeah, I don't know if I answered your question there, but that's, that's kind of just some, some thought processes that I've been having lately. Absolutely. That's beautiful. And there's a lot of ways we could go from, from here. I, we're in similar boats, I think, in, in a lot of ways with, with that. And what struck me as fascinating with what you presented, there were a lot of things interesting in what you said, but one aspect I'd like to dig a little bit deeper on is is the part of the fellowship and community that you found within the, um, is it with is it a church that you're attending that you're finding this? Or yeah. Um, yeah. So within, I'd love to hear more about that because I, 
from a lot of angles. I think um, I was reading recently how like loneliness is one of the biggest, um, I guess, illnesses, I guess you could say, or, or things that people are suffering and struggling from in this country right now. And, and the health effects are really um, somewhat underplayed you know something it's it's i, I was reading it's similar to smoking a c- cigarettes and, i was just gonna say that like, <laughs> yeah i heard that <laughs> too yeah yeah so that's like a popular meme i think i think growing there's growing awareness for that and a lot of people don't know like where to find that fellowship where to find that community so i guess i'm curious uh, what that has, experience has been like and, and what you'd what you'd like to share about it um so i'm gonna get to that but i, I want to address something first that earlier we were talking about how everything's become polarized right And people have almost, people tie their identity now to, sometimes it's a diet, sometimes it's CrossFit, sometimes it's like people are looking for community and people are looking for identity. And sometimes their identity is found in these online niches almost. And so people be like, I'm a vegan, you know, like I, you know, I hold that strong and that's my identity. And Um, so anytime you attack their diet, you're attacking their identity. And that's why it's so, it's become so powerful is that these, uh, online personas and, uh, niches and corners are kind of, they're becoming religions. Um, and so to find that elsewhere is really going to take you out of that whole, just superficial social media kind of banter that, can just waste your time and it's just toxic. Um, and so, so yeah, the fellowship that I have found, um, my, my whole testimony, it's it's kind of a crazy story on how I, I got back in the church and whatnot, but, um, yeah, there's just, there's just good people, man. Like there's a lot of good people out there and it's easy to think like we're in a world where, everything's messed up and people are bad and you can't trust anyone, but you go to these certain things and and you, you realize that, wow, there's a lot of really good people out there and people that will have your back, people that will support you. And there is just something so important about um, one, like I think especially as men to have a group of men, good men around you, obviously women are very important, but there's just something about that fraternity um, and feeling like you've got strong brothers around you that would like go to war for you. Uh, I think it like innately in men, it, it almost like, I don't know, as men, you know, we, we went to war and we, <laughs> we fought next to, you know, people, you know, men. And so when you have that trust, it feels so strong. It feels like, man, I take a bullet for this guy. Um, and it's, it, it's so important, uh, the, the community, because like you said, loneliness is, it's, it's terrible. Um, And social media has given us this sort of fake feeling that we are getting community, but it's, it's not the same. It's not the same as being in person and having um, physical contact or just face to face. It's way different. Everybody knows that everybody knows how enriched they have felt after having a good one-on-one conversation or a good um, you can feel the energy in the room. Like I can't feel your energy through the laptop. I mean, I can kind of, you know, I know you're a good dude and I know you got good energy, but, um, I'm sure in person I'd be like, you'd be radiating, you know, you'd be glowing. And, um, so there's just something about that in-person communication and connection. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's really deep and, and true. And there's, 
there's this other sort of insidious aspect of, of the way our culture is evolving where everything's that we used to rely on is kind of being outsourced to technology where it's like a lot of people aren't having sex anymore. They're just like watching pornography. A lot of people aren't cooking for themselves anymore. They're just ordering through an app. A lot of people aren't actually having face-to-face, heart-to-heart communication, conversations, hugging, handshaking, laughing with other people in the same room. It's, it's all on social media. And it's, it's this sort of, I don't know what it is, but it, it's not, not great. And there, there's this big sort of movement towards recognizing that and then creating creating something new and the community is a big one that i hear from a lot of people where we need to reconnect in it's funny too because we have this like (laughs) there's this word like online like on the web you know over the internet but now we're being like in in reality like in in the 3d like how do we yeah (laughs) yeah yeah, it's it's uh it's funny that uh so like yeah it's it's bizarre man It, it really is yeah people are forgetting how important it is because they think that what they're getting online is the same. And I almost, I feel bad for, you know, even the generations younger than me, because of course we have, we have laptops in front of us with our cell phones at on all times, but they, the younger generations, I mean, it was from the time they were children to now and, you know, parents sitting them in front of their phones when, when they're being loud or, and so it's almost like a crutch for them. So rather than just having a conversation with someone and saying, hey, I'm hurting, uh, they go to their phone. Hey, I'm anxious. They scroll through TikTok. Um, hey, I don't know how to talk to girls. Instead of talking to their dad or talking to their brother, they're on some Reddit forum talking to complete strangers, you know, and it's like, what happened? Um, why do we trust what's on our phone more than the people right in front of us? Yeah. That's a deep one. <laughs> yeah. You know, the funny thing is too, here's the interesting part about the, not, not to be confrontational, maybe in a way to play devil's advocate to, in, to some degree. Sometimes the tricky thing is that sometimes that can be a good move because sometimes like the people in your life, for whatever reason, don't want, you know, to succeed. Maybe they're, they're jealous or they just don't yeah, know yeah. the answer. <laughs> and we can like find some great, uh, sometimes like, that it's such a tricky thing because sometimes the phone delivers like amazing connections and, and like great advice, but then other times it can really steer you in the wrong direction. It's the same thing with like people you interact with. But I think the missing piece there is just that, like the ability to have the the face-to-face conversation to connect and like heart to heart, like that, that saying does have power. There's something about like the heart radiates a certain energy field that, you know, that's been measured scientifically. And, and when the two energy fields sort of coalesce, there's like, there's something happening there that is on the fringes of science that they we were kind of working it out, but it's like very real and, and very powerful and something that we, we'd be foolish to just <laughs> throw away completely. Yeah. I mean, you make, you make a good point. Um, I shouldn't be, com- I, I'm not trying to sound completely anti-technology here because, so I remember back in 2020, uh, it was like the most lost period of my life. Like just utter darkness. And I remember getting back on Twitter for, I don't even know why, just being bored, I guess, in the house. And somehow I found this corner of Twitter that, I don't know how you would describe it, but it's kind of this health, esoteric, right-wing bodybuilder, money Twitter, whatever it is, <laughs> you you know what I'm talking about. Like our, our Twitter group chat and uh, 
it was back in 2020 where I found this and it was the first time in, in a long time where I felt like everyone on here is just like me. Like he's just like me for real. You know, like that meme. Um, it was just like that. And it was because the people I was around at that time, it wasn't my tribe, you know, and it, and that for me was such a big part of, of my fulfillment and happiness. And I was lacking it. And so I remember finding that on Twitter and just being like, this is incredible. There's a whole world of other people that I can relate to. And of course I, you know, I'd, I'd rather everyone just all live in, in a cul-de-sac neighborhood, all my Twitter bros, but you know, that's not possible, but it is, it is good to get on there and connect. And especially when you lose faith in the world and you see things on the news and you can log on Twitter and, and see people putting out positive stuff and be like, all right, faith in humanity is restored. You're right about that. And I've heard this echoed from others who have somehow found this corner of people within the social media network called Twitter that are sharing positive ideas and, and like minds are sort of coalescing to people around people who have like similar beliefs and they can share strategies and, and connect. And it is, it is fascinating because I, I've come to have this idea where if someone was really struggling and suffering in life, you could create them an account, give them a certain set of people to connect with on Twitter, and then they could really transform their life by, by following that advice, by connecting, by having conversations. Yeah. It's, there's something really powerful happening there that I, I, I almost want to see like a, some sort of study performed where they be like, get, a, get like a group of people, have them like interact and, and see how it changes because there's this, um, one of the, one of the biggest phenomena uh, in economics, which is the science of decision-making. So like the way our minds interact with the world is, is social proof. So we choose our choices in a large part, based on what others around us are doing because we're like we're social animals and i really feel like social media does change and shift that to a pretty sizable degree and if you are connected with the like people who are making good positive optimistic decisions that's going to shape your mind more towards orient that sort of source of, of truth and light and good and there's there's really something powerful there that is, is pretty exciting to me yeah absolutely you i mean you make a you make a great point i think um there's something, there's something going on with it. It's, <clears throat> and yeah, there, there's, there's pros and cons. And of course you have to curate your feed. You, you, you can't just go on there and follow Lady Gaga and CNN. Like you, you have to go on and kind of, <laughs> you know, give people a direction. Like I know if I had someone in my position back in 2020, I'd say follow these 50 accounts and that's, don't do anything else. That's it. Just look at what they're putting out. And I, I promise you'll find your, your direction. Um, and that's, that's just so cool that we do have access to that. So, you know, we should be appreciative of it, of it as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes me think of a question sort of similar to social media, but I guess another form of media, have there been any big books or, or thinkers or sort of thought leaders that, that you've connected with whose work you've, you've absorbed over the past few years that have made a, that has made a, a big positive impact in, in your life? Um, the biggest one is probably Ray Pete. Um, and so he's kind of exploding, especially I think after, you know, after his passing in uh, November, um, he's even get, gaining some more traction, his work. And so, you know, I found, I found his work back in, 
it's like February 2021. And it just, I don't know how to explain it. Everyone that's kind of looked into his work has realized that he there's something different about him. He is He's on a different level. He's got some sort of genius in him to where he thinks about everything just differently and um, can kind of think outside the box and a lo- especially in health. But a lot of his, a lot of the kind of like influencers now that have branched off and kind of taken his ideas, they don't necessarily just do health. Now they're talking about politics and the world and philosophy. And it's his whole thing is like perceive, think, act. And it's just become this almost like this movement of kind of question things and think about things a different way. Uh, you, you really helped me to question a lot. Like with the sugar, I used to be super anti-sugar and everybody has to be low carb. And he just explains it in such a simple way that makes you realize like, why did I ever fear sugar? Like, and, and of course, yeah, I mean, there's, there's brainwashing by the media and whatnot, but he just explains it in such a way that's, that's, that's awesome. Um, right now, what am I reading? I just read a couple books about the thyroid. I read one on one by Broda Barnes. I read um, another one called Stop the Thyroid Madness. Uh, I'm reading the Bible a lot, obviously, so that's a good one. Everybody, I think, should dive into. Um, and then, uh, what am I reading? Oh, Sacred Cow. I just started. I just started that out, and oh man, it's so good. It's and it a lot of it's kind of already along the same beliefs that I have, and even the beliefs that I've already written about. But it just backs it up with so much stuff that I'm like, it's unquestionable at this point, like undeniable that cow farts are not destroying the planet. <laughs> like people need to chill out. Like, so that's a really good one. If anyone's on, on that border of like meat bad and, you know, got to eat plant-based and all of that sort of thing. Beautiful. I love Sacred Cow. That one is a really, really powerful book and and documentary as as well. And I've been hearing so much about Ray P. He's definitely becoming more popular, almost like Leonardo da Vinci in a way where da Vinci was, yeah. you know, not very successful in his life and then he died and everyone wanted his, his paintings. And I'm sure Ray Pete was also, was way more successful than da Vinci, you know, while he was alive. But if, if someone was hearing this and curious to, to dive into his work, what would be the best like entry point? Is there a certain book or uh, video series or like what, how would someone start out just like getting into this stuff? Um, there's a really good blog. I think it's called, uh, it's like functional PS movements or functional PS or something.com. Um, and they're just a group of people who part of what they do is just movement training. So kind of stuff like what you do, but for whatever reason, they took the whole bioenergetic model and, um, they've simplified it. So they've taken a lot of raised quotes and they have courses and, blogs and all uh, a lot of resources on that website that's a good place um danny roddy's podcast i think is a really good place to start or his youtube channel um he's a really good resource him and georgie dinkov kind of go back uh back and forth on on his podcast and and they have a lot of, of good um uh, education on there and then like the ray pete forum um you got to be careful on there because there's some just weird stuff on there that you know, all, all online forums are just strange at times, but there's for specific questions. If you want to go on there and just have a hundred people answer with their anecdotes, that's a good place to go as well. 
Awesome. I'll link all those down below in the, the show notes for everyone who wants to see, dive in. And yeah, show Sacred Cow as well. If anyone wants to, to get access to that in an easy way, it's that's a really, really one of the more important books that's been published over the past 10 years or so, given the false belief that cows and beef are, are bad for the environment when it's really the, the opposite, you know, um, it's not the cow, it's the how is the, the famous line where yeah. we could make a strong argument that the industrial farming system as a whole, including all the junk food that they're making is bad for, you know, humans and our biosphere at large, like, you know, as above, so below, if it's bad for the person, it's probably bad for the planet. But if beef is, is healthy, which it obviously is, then we can certainly integrate that into our food system in a way that where it's going to be regenerative, where it's going to be integrated with the soil and the entire web of life. So yeah, yeah that, that's amazing and a beautiful publication. Yeah, absolutely. What, what about you? What are you digging into? Recently, I just finished a book called Toxic Superfoods by Sally Fallon, which was about oh, oxalates. Yeah. Have you have you gotten into the whole oxalate thing? I uh, yeah, I definitely have. Um, that's that's the Weston A. Price, right? That Sally Fallon. I think she's she's part of the Weston A. Price group. She didn't mention it, in, but uh, in the book, but I think I think you're right. It was uh, pretty. Pretty interesting because it's on one hand, I'm like, oh, great. You're like another thing to worry about. You know, I've got like all these things that are like, now I have to worry about oxalates. And, but on the other thing it was pretty fascinating to think that, you know, spinach and cacao and uh, just like a lot of these plant-based foods where a lot of people struggle and suffer on a vegan diet, a plant-based diet. And, and this could be a really good explanation as to why that may be because these plant defense chemicals accumulate. And if you think about it evolutionarily, these foods weren't growing 24 seven. And, and you know what? They don't grow at the grocery store. They're there because people buy them. And, and if we were to take more of a nature aligned approach to these things, we'd be eating them more intermittently, you know, giving them, not eating them all day, every day. And uh, seeing salad as a source of, you know, the only source of health is like a little bit silly when we take a sort of a deeper time perspective on these things and may even be causing some, some, some harm, uh, surprisingly. Yeah, just because it's green doesn't mean it's healthy. You know, there's this whole every you know green movement or, or whatever. More more plants on your plate, and you know, of course, there's there's a time and a place to include plants and the nutrients that they have. But to completely exclude a whole group of very nutrient dense food um, is kind of nonsense to me. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of this is movement in the right direction. A lot of the things that, that we're talking about and that we're kind of striving to create and to share to, in a broader way. I know we've both been able to impact others in a way where they've been able to transform their, their lives or at least take steps in the right direction. And I think that's a, a lot of what we can, you know, the best we can hope for in a lot of, a lot of ways is just keep doing, keep doing what we're doing and hope, hopefully the, the message sort of catches, catches an edge and, and shares and spreads wider. Yeah, I'm wondering how, how big this thing can get. You, you think of the kind of the, the big names, you know, you got like like Solbra and, and guys like that. And some of these guys who have gotten so big and, and even like Paul Saladino, he's got a, he's got a big movement now. Um, and it's it's exciting to see that some of these things that have been either silenced before or just not able to become mainstream, um, a lot of people are waking up. And it's, it's, uh, it's encouraging 
it's I'm, I'm optimistic about the future. I think, um, you know, if I was in that situation a few years ago, which I was, you know, and I got out of that whole kind of mindset with a lot of things, right. It was red pilled or, or whatever you want to call it. Um, I think a lot more people are going to, are going to start figuring, figuring some things out. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm stoked to, to see it play out. I'm optimistic as, as well, despite knowing that there's going to be ups and downs where undoubtedly headed for ascension. I, I fully believe that. And I, I can feel it with our conversation and our, our fellowship, even though it's through the internet, I, I feel it on people around me that have been able to meet up and, and it's just a powerful energy that, that we can catch on to that, that I'm glad I was able to speak and, and share that with, with you here and, and, everything that you share online and really appreciate you giving some time to this and, and sharing your story and, and your wisdom with me. Is there any sort of last lingering thought or idea that you'd like to share with everybody listening? Um, I have a, I have a couple things. I think one would be, you know, if you are on, on the social media side of things, you are trying to grow things. Um, I think it's really important to, to be genuine just to be yourself. I think that really comes across, especially, you know, in your kind of brand, you, there's nobody like case, you know, like your, your brand is very you and um, it comes across that way. It comes across genuine versus a lot of these kind of people that mimic each other and pop up every day. Um, it doesn't come across kind of as wholesome and as real. And so I think if you are kind of trying to get into the social media thing, like just try and try to be genuine, try to, you know, stick to your, to yourself. Um, the other thing is, uh, you know, you, you have to, to find what gets you out of bed in the morning, find whatever kind of lights a fire under you to, to get your day going. And if you're not there yet, if you haven't found it, just continue trying to find it, just trying new things. Um, because once you do, I mean, every part of your life improves because you're fulfilled in what you're doing. You're happier, you're healthier, you're giving more to the world around you. And, um, you know, I think a lot of kind of depression or being in a slump, you know, a lot of the symptoms of that is like, oh, I can't get out of bed, you know, can't get out of the bed in the morning. And it's like, well, part of that is, are you excited for your day? Are you excited for, are you going to change the world or what's, what's your purpose? And so trying to find your purpose is, is super important. And, um, you know, just, just keep searching for it. Just keep trying things and uh, working towards it every day. Powerful. Colin, thank you. Yeah, thanks, Case.